Welcome back to Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. I am your host, Lauren Morris, and I am, again, once again, I think this is going to be a pattern, super excited about this podcast episode coming up for you. Today, we have Jay Suko, and he will gladly talk about improv endlessly and how much better the world would be if everyone took just one improv class. By the way, I absolutely agree with that. He is trained with, among others, Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, John Favreau, Keith Johnstone, Del Close, and Mick Napier. He is the founder of Today Improv, where he teaches improv to actors, business, and everybody else. He is currently on the faculty at the Second City Hollywood and MI's Westside Comedy Theater, and he has taught and performed at theaters and festivals throughout the world. I will tell you that I really enjoyed this conversation. Jay Jay is egoless. That's the best way for me to describe. And I love his approach to teaching. I love his passion for teaching. And I love how he really thinks about the details when it comes to teaching. I hope that you get as much out of this as I got out of this. It was a really fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I hope that I get to talk to him again soon. If after this episode you'd like to reach out, he's on Facebook at J. Austin Suko and also Today Improv. He loves improv. I love improv. I hope you love improv. So go ahead, sit back, relax, and enjoy the latest episode of Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. How, how do you become a teacher? Because I think a lot of times people might look at teaching as the only way to make money, and so maybe that's why they do it. And it's that's the worst reason reason to do it. Right, right. Yeah, let's uh, let's start with that then. So tell me why you. I mean, I, I have my ideas, but what are your ideas on why that's the worst reason to start uh, down that path in improv? Well, I think because first off, your heart's not in it for the right reason. Your heart's in it because you're going to get paid. And honestly, if that's why you're doing it to get paid as an improv teacher, you're making very little. So if that's what's um, pushing you, then you might want to reconsider. To be, a, um, to be a good teacher, I think you have to be inspiring. And you have to uh, put people in a place where they feel safe to learn and grow. And that that's hard. It's a hard thing to do because sometimes maybe you have somebody who wasn't a great teacher on your end. And you might think, oh, well, to be a teacher, it's a time, you know, I, I know some people who say, well, it's like hazing. It's like a time you get to get back at the students. And it's like, that's a terrible thing to do. Your job is to inspire them. For me, especially with improv, it's like my job as a teacher is to get these students to want to take more classes and to get them to want to start their own improv company, to get them to be better human beings and to see what Yes And can do in their lives. And I have a passion that I didn't know I had as far as being a teacher. I never thought I'd be teaching improv for sure, but now that I do it, I can't see doing anything else. How long have you been teaching improv? Wow. Um, My first... first class, I guess, was a workshop I taught for comedy sports uh, when we were on the road as part of a a tour we were doing. And I think that was 94. And that was only, you know, my first class was in January of 92. So it wasn't that long after uh, my first class. 
that let's go. I love, I love origin stories. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so when you were so do comic book movies, right? Right. So if you were, t- you were t- um, teaching a workshop, were you given a curriculum or is that something you had to come up with? Um, and how did you approach that? <laughs> a curriculum. That's cute. Uh, I think what happened is I, when I was taking classes and I was one of those people that didn't sign up for an improv class to get on stage, I got a improv class as a Christmas present. So I was one of those, what are now called hobbyists or sometimes called like suburban soccer moms. Like I wasn't somebody who wanted to do things with improv outside of just the class was fun. And so I used to go to class and I would take notes. And I would take notes because I had so much fun and I'd be like, oh, I want to try this with my friends or, oh, that's a great point. I got to remember that moving forward. So I would take notes. And then I, for the workshop, I co-taught it with someone else. I, yeah, I co-taught it with this guy, Dave Gaudette, who um, is the producer, I think still, yeah, he's still the producer of comedy sports there. And I kind of just followed his lead. And I think before he's like, okay, you're going to teach zip, zap, zap. I'll teach bippity. And you'll do Dr. Know-It-All. And so it started off that way. And then it was like, all right. And you just jumped right in. And what you realized is you knew more about those exercises at that point than other people did. And so I ended up just teaching kind of this. I teach the way I like to be taught, but also the way that I think allows people to to grow, to have a safe experience, and to uh, get the most out of it. I want everyone who takes a class to be like, I can never stop taking classes again because they're so fun. Not like I want to be on TV, but more like this has changed my life for the better. I love the idea of creating the safe place. We had come across each other online, and you said something super simple of like not in my class. If you see something and it's completely inappropriate. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that concept and the concept of a safe, what what it means to be safe and how to grow in a classroom. Oh, great. Uh, Great question. I think you have to establish off the top to make it a safe place. I think that's paramount because I think it's not just physical safety, but I think it's also emotional safety as well, for sure. You'll get into some exercises, like if you do emotional work, you'll get into some exercises that will take you places where your natural instinct is to do something unsafe, like, you know, throw a chair or grab somebody or something like that. So you always have to remind people that this is, you know, these are exercises. And I rarely see that. Like, I don't know if I've ever really seen that. But what I do see is putting people in positions of being unsafe emotionally and doing things where I remember a guy came into class once top of class right before we started he runs into class and he gets right in people's faces to scare them and then he's like what no yes and where's the yes and and i said nope i go absolutely not i go first off you're making this about yourself you're not making it about a group and i think that's what happens a lot of times when it becomes unsafe is somebody's making it about them Somebody says to somebody else well i mean look at you you're completely racist and then they expect that person to yes and that and go with that. And it's more from a place not of love, but it's either fear or, or ego or both. And so if you create a space that's safe for everyone, and you, I say things like that now. I, I've stopped in certain situations being like, well, let me hear your point of view. 
It's like at a certain point when you see things, it's like I don't need to hear your point of view because I've had people push back. I remember a guy in my class too. He was um, he was touching people inappropriately. And he said, oh, that's okay. I'm gay and she knows me. And I go, finally, I'm like, not in my class. I'm not comfortable with it. You might be super comfortable. Everybody in class might be comfortable with it, but I'm not comfortable with it. So I'm going to ask you not to do it. Because when you leave it at a safe place and you make it safe, people feel they can express themselves more. They can take bigger risks. That person who's like appears to be fine with it will take you aside afterwards and go, thank you for doing that. I'm not okay with it. But this person has been doing it so long that I just feel afraid to say anything. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely don't want them um, in those positions at all. Um, I think I want to just jump. I'm going to jump around a little bit because you brought up sort of the student who pushes back also. Like I feel like um, a lot of new teachers don't always know or have the skill set to deal with a student who pushes back and says, well, they know this, they know that. But also the student who pushes back on taking a note or receiving feedback. Um, what are some your thoughts? And you know, It's different if you're talking coaching versus teaching a little bit. If you're talking coaching, what I do is I usually, again, I think if you set these up at the top, it's so much easier than if you have to address them as it continues. Now, you're not going to know everything naturally, but like when I'm coaching a group, I'll say, I want everything, I want it to be a very positive experience, so I need that from you. Also, I need you to take a note. Like I'll say there's a difference between I'm not sure exactly what you're saying because that happens to me a lot where I won't explain myself. So I'm like, I have no problem saying that. But when you start pushing back and you're saying, well, my character would have done this, which I laugh at. But I say, uh, I'm asking you not to push back on notes. I'm also asking, I'm also asking the group not to, outside of shows, talk about shows because it does, does nobody any good. Talk about a show with your coach there, but once that's done, leave it there. Um, and you should resist the urge to uh, give notes longer than your show. So that's if I'm coaching. Really quick with the coaching, um, these days are you are people approaching you to be coach uh, to coach them, or are you getting assigned coaching? Um, how are you? It's kind of both. Um, I work for a place called Westside Comedy in Santa Monica, California, and they asked me to be a coach of one of their their um, house teams. I've also been approached by groups to say anything from. Uh, hey, can you coach us every month or so? There's a team called Fairy Tales Against Humanity, which is a wonderful show. It's like a fractured fairy tale based on audience suggestions. They they have me come in maybe once a month, and that's really fun. There are then other people that go, hey, we formed a group outside of class. Are you interested in coaching? Um, so I, it's kind of a combination of, of those three for coaching. Now, for teaching, I think... The discussion is really important as far as a lot of times you get people who don't have experience in improv, so they might not understand. Sometimes you get that person who's like, um, I took a two-week intensive with so-and-so at ABC Theater. I read this book, and here's or I've been teaching my own group for a while in, in college. So, And I think all of these, what will help you the most as a teacher, if I could give like one kind of overall advice, is... It's not about you, including that pushback, and you have to get to the root of what's their need. Why is this person pushing back? 
not what do you know, listen to me. It's not that. It's more like you're uncovering what's already there for them. And a lot of times what's there is, is hidden behind layers of fear and ego. And so say why, you know, and sometimes these are outside of class to be like, hey, I've noticed, you know, and even during class you can say, um, hey, Joe, that's great. Let's table that for a minute. I'd really love to hear your thoughts more about it. Let's let's continue this during the break, but we have to move on. Because it's really, it's really easy to be like, why don't you just shut up? You don't know what you're doing. Sit down. You're ruining this class. It's really easy to do that. But the hard thing is to compose yourself because you're in that position of authority. So it's up to you to set the tone and be like, at a certain point, you're also doing a service for the class to be like, all right, it's, let's move on. It's juggling personalities too. So it's like, I want to make sure you're heard, but the time for you to be heard might have to continue after class because right now we've spent a lot of time on this and what we need to do is move on, but I still want to hear what you have to say. I think you bring up a really great point for teachers also is that, um, it, and it's hard, especially in the beginning sometimes, it's not about you personally as a teacher. The, you know, a lot of things students are doing are not a direct result of you, the person, or you, the teacher. Yes. It's, it's them, their personalities coming in, mixing with these other personalities. I think that's a huge takeaway is that it's it's not about you. You, you get people coming in with things you have no idea about. And then I remember once I had a student come in and this person would come late. They'd leave early. And then I'd be like, what is going, how could they, I don't, and every time they come in, I'd have this negative look on my face and I'd be like, oh boy, look who decides to show up. Like I wouldn't say that, but internally. And then I found out that this person found their spouse in bed with somebody else day one of class. And they said to me later, you know, this got me out of my house. Even if they were like, I'm sorry, even if it was like for 10 minutes, the fact that I could leave my house and come here and you didn't put pressure on me to participate and you were always cool with me leaving. You never said anything. They were like, that was such a huge deal at that point in my life. But of course, we think of it as like the world's about us. I'm a teacher. The world, And you you slowly realize a lot of stuff people are bringing in, very, very – in fact, all of it has nothing to do with you. Even when they might give you a note or talk to somebody, it's like it really has to do with outside stuff. You might at times be the person they vent at, but really it's not about you. And that's even when people are like, you're the most amazing teacher. It's like, well, the good and bad are about the same. You know, It's, it's rarely about you. You're, you're helping them see what's already there. But when you can take your ego out of that equation, which is hard because we're humans, and don't get me wrong, I've spent time leaving class going, are you kidding me? This person, or go home and complain to my wife, and I'm like, they're just not improvising this way, and she'll go, they don't have to. No, but they do. She's like, no, they don't have to. (laughs) I'm like, she also tells me when we get in fights, she'll look at me and she'll go, treat me like your scene partner. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) no. Which shuts everything down. I'm like, all right. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. She's brilliant. She's Um, brilliant. 
what um, what classes right like what currently what kind of what kind of classes are you teaching right now? Are you teaching um, structured level classes or uh, you know experience workshops? What kind of things are you teaching right now? Uh, I'm lucky now. I teach at Second City in Hollywood, and I teach at West Side in Santa Monica. And Second City in Hollywood is a structured. You get a syllabus. What's great about and I worked. Uh, for years at Second City in Chicago, um, and there's a guy, Brian Posen, that runs the program. And what was great is he said, yeah, I got a syllabus, but you could use it if you want, but really I want the class to experience you. And I'd be like, I'd be like, well, how do you want freeze tag to be taught? He's like, I don't know, however you teach it. So in a way it was frustrating at first, but it also allowed me to go, okay, what skills are needed when they leave, so I'll make sure I do that. Second City Hollywood has been great because I do get that syllabus and I look at it and I go, oh, I haven't taught this in a while. Okay, and it, it does break down to today we're working on emotions or today we're working on agreement, which is great. West Side and Santa Monica, I've had, I love those guys. Like it's the Mission Improbable people that run it and Annie and Levin O'Connor are in charge of their training center and they just took over. Uh, and what they're doing is they're completely revamping the curriculum. So instead of like a level one, two, three, four, they're doing listening for eight weeks or relationship for eight weeks. And then at the end, you can continue. If it's of interest, there's an advanced program as well where they'll focus on more skills. But they've been really great. They've said to me, uh, you want to teach a four-week class on something? And I'm like, yeah. And they go, okay, what is it? And I said, well, I want to do this um, class called The Journey, which is complete uh, following. It's organic transformations. It's it's a giant um, group following each other like a drug trip without the drugs. And that's been really fun and successful there. So, And then I teach for myself at times where people might ask me to come on and teach a class or I might do a free class. Uh, so really I kind of have the best of all worlds. When you're working in something like a second city, though, where you have a syllabus, you know that you have to work with the class that you're given, but you also know that there's outcomes that you need to hit for them to go to a next level. So it's sort of a two-part question is, one, what metrics are you using, uh, if any, to – well, what level are you teaching at Second City? Second City, I would be teaching – Beginning in Chicago, it's the beginning improv. There's an A through E intro improv. Um, And then in Hollywood, it's a little bit different. It's level one, two, or three, and then you audition for conservatory. So I guess they're both kind of like the beginning improv programs. So you have authority then to say to someone that they're not moving forward? No. The only, like, according to, and the same is at West Side of, like, they have to attend six of the eight or five of the seven classes to progress. Now, with that being said, there are times where I will go, it rarely happens, but there have been times where it's like, hey, I just want you to know, here's a situation I'm having with somebody in class. And a lot of times it's like, I am not professionally equipped to deal with this situation. You know, rarely, I don't know if it's ever for me like a student that's out of control. And... And for me, it's also improv is subjective. And so for me to say if somebody can advance or not, that's not my job. My job is to arm them with the tools then because we're dealing with theater and, and, and sometimes comedy. And so to be like, 
It's like that painting's not good enough. It's like says who? You know, I I stopped judging improv competitions. I used to be a judge for like the Chicago Improv Festival college tournament, and I stopped because I'm like you they'd be asked to judge on like risk and and i'm like i don't know what risk is to this group them being here might be risk i don't i can't judge it so i've stopped judging any sort of improv competition and and that's why also i i i'm not a big fan of cage matches of like a competition aspect to it now i did i did work i did work for years with comedy sports which is a competition but it's thinly veiled as it's thinly guised as a competition really it's these two teams are working together with this referee to create a show so it's it's all it's it's a good natured um form but it's not combative at all so so yeah for me to say who to advance is like who am i i'm one guy i see these people what do i measure success by is if they take another class if they tell people about improv if they come to me later and say that changed my life like that to me is is more of the guide rather than oh their object work is spot on you know sometimes though i i know for myself personally i when i was a student in some in some programs there were some classes though and you were like i don't know why this guy is in this class and not to be judging but they're not even yes anding and there are some people where you're like, I'll never forget, I was in an audition once, and somebody got into this program because the person running the audition said, I don't want to have to walk by them at their desk every day and have them look at me like, why didn't I get in so they're in? So for me, I leave the metric, I guess, is can they say yes? And all I, most of my notes, I would say 90% of my notes in improv class uh, or groups is – say yes. That's almost exclusively what I say. I'm not kidding. My notes are not like, um, you know, your, your status is this or, or any of that. Mine is like, look at your scene partner and say yes to their idea, add to it. And once that happens, it's like when we take the yes and, and we go back to it, everything you need is there. Whether you're like, well, I want to deal with the game of the scene or I want to deal with what about status and characters and all that stuff. And I'm like, yes, and will lead you to everywhere you need to go. So that's my gauge is can this person leave class saying yes and um, and play from a place of love. So those are my two big things like make positive choices. Yes, and is inherently positive right there. I know sometimes it's like, well, no is a yes. It's like, okay. But a yes is a yes 100% of the time. 100% of the time, a yes is a yes. So say yes. Now, are you um, – are, are there – when you teach at um, institutions versus your own workshops, are you uh, having evaluations and surveys on your own progress so that you can see uh, and tweak your own approach to teaching? So at the end of a class, are they required to fill out surveys and, and those kind of items? Yeah. At at Chicago, and I'm and I keep referencing Chicago because I've only been in LA a, a year, and so when I keep going back, it's just a natural comparison for me. I think at Chicago, when I taught at IO, there were um, evaluations from students at the end of each term. Chicago comedy sports, I, there weren't. Uh, Second City, there were they were sporadic, which was interesting because then you never knew when an evaluation was going to come, which is good and bad. In here at West Side Comedy and at Second City, our evaluations at the end of each term. 
And I think they're good, and I think they're valuable to read through. I think when you start seeing the same note, then it's a good idea to listen to it, to be like, oh, they keep saying I do this too much. Okay, I talk too much. Let me work on that. But at the same time, it's very subjective. And so one person might be like, they didn't talk enough. Somebody else might be like, ugh, they talk too much. So that's why it's – and, you know, as a teacher, it's – you're navigating personalities. It's rarely about like – we think it is about the improv, and it's it's really a, being a teacher is navigating, setting up the stage when people walk into the room, what is the vibe like, um, how do you handle the classroom, and what do you leave them with going forward. The, those classroom management skills, I feel, are sometimes um, – brushed over or talked about really quickly if there is a train the trainer program and I, I feel like they're important for me personally um, I set up the, the chairs the way I want them uh, if, yes. if that's an option sometimes it's not an option yes. right um, if I'm going to be using materials that week I will make sure they're all in place and ready to yes. load um, those are the kind of things that I don't know that people necessarily think about um but it's creating it's create like you said it's creating the type of space you want to be teaching in and that you want your students to be creating in so uh, what are some things that you perhaps do to sort of set that stage well when you teach especially when you first teach and even it happens to me now like i whenever i go somewhere and i i'm not no i strike that every time i teach before i teach especially a new term i'm always afraid i'm always nervous which is all about me i'm nervous i go in there i'm like they're not gonna they're gonna know i'm a fraud all of that but when i turn it outwardly all teachers do right all teachers are like i'm a fraud don't find out i don't know (laughs) why am i doing this why did they hire me they're dumb i'm dumb everything's dumb i'm gonna stay home right so I think if you have a passion for teaching, that's the biggest thing you can do. Have a passion. So when the first thing I do when I walk into a room is I go, what's the temperature? What's the physical temperature of this room? Is it warm? Is it cold? What is it? The second thing I do is I look at the layout. I have no problem. A lot of times I'll be like, I try to move the chairs away to make it almost like less of an academic setting at times and more of a we're going to play. That's why every every class I start with starts with the same thing, which is, and this will probably change, but I play TV tag. I play some version of tag first day without even getting people to introduce introduce themselves. So I do that. Aid. I want to see how people, I want to take the pressure off themselves to be like, hi, my name is John. I'm from uh, Deloitte and I just want to do this. Uh, and I want to get them more to a sense of play. That also allows me to observe the class to be like, how are people playing? Because how they play will tell you how they're going to be as a student most times. Is this person jumping right in 100% without asking questions? They'll, be, they'll take any note you say and they'll do it. Is this person reserved and shy in the back? They're probably going to be that same way as a student. So then now I'm already starting to evaluate personalities to be like, how do I have to approach these, these people? If I notice somebody might be a too cool for school guy, and it almost always is a dude, if I, I notice that and the guy's standing off to the side or he's like making snide comments or he's sarcastic, 
after that, during the class at some point, I'll say, you know, this is all about a safe place. This is all about uh, we are aiming to fail and fail hard. There's no room for defensiveness or sarcasm in improv. Sarcasm is a lack of emotion, and there's no room for it. And I'll go, nobody likes that guy. Nobody likes to play with that guy. And I'll look at the person. I won't stare at them, but I'll just give them my, my attention to be like, hey, this might be you, so let's make sure that you aren't that person in this class. So, but I have no problem anywhere I go to be like, I'll ask first, hey, can I move the chairs? But wherever I'm working out, they don't care. So I'll move them. I'll be like, we've got a class of eight. Let's close off. Let's take a bunch of chairs away because we don't need 20 chairs. I always want people to sit close to each other. I always want, I always want there to be like maybe one chair extra, but I want them to be close to each other to experience it. I love circles. Or half circles, because I want everybody to take a look at each other. And most of all, I want them up as, as much as possible. Get up, get moving. Get up, get moving. Talk, Teachers, talk less. Um, listen more. Get them up and move. Unless it's something really important where, like, I've had conversations of, like, here's what I feel about harassment. Here's what's going on in the improv community right now about harassment. Here's why it's very important that you don't just keep saying woman to your scene partner. Here and, and if you don't and not just for me, let's ask some of the women in the group why is that not important? Like those situations I feel are important to talk about. But for the most part it's like what's the temperature of the room? How do the students come in? If it's dead of um, uh, summer and it's in a warm place and there's no air conditioning, keep that in mind, which means you gotta work harder. You gotta bring the energy. Yeah. There um, I find also sometimes if it's, you know, that small class and they're kind of new, you also have to bring more energy and more excitement to the classroom to help elevate and get them excited. Um, once they're past the nerves and stuff, that usually can go away. But Yeah, I'm like, I would never lose that passion, too. I'm like, if you're a teacher and you're not passionate about it, then take a break. But passion is a huge part. Why are they spending this their money, their hard-earned money and time with you? If it's not something you're passionate about, if it's something you're just doing to get a, a, a paycheck, you'll see your first paycheck, how paltry it is, and you'll be like, let me reevaluate this. You brought up what I think is really um, super important. I have what I call, um, and people are going to be hearing this in the podcast over and over again, but I have I, I go off the whole, like, if you see something, say something motto uh, on stage when it comes to sexism and racism and whatnot. So I love that you already brought that up. Um, it sounds like if that's coming up on stage, you're stopping what's going on and having that conversation. Uh, or, yeah, so are you, so... Because some people will wait for the scene to be over to have a conversation. Um, okay, so so go ahead and talk about why you stopped that scene then and, and the conversation you're having. I remember one student during a show said, and it was it was uh, making fun of his scene partner, and he was like, "Well, um, something like you know, you're a six, but in this light, a seven or something like that." And from the side, I just said, "Nope, new choice." Like, I have no problem. I had no problem doing that. I was like, nah. And I talked afterwards, and I, and he goes, yeah, I don't know why I said that. I said, yeah, remember, like, your scene partner's brilliant and a rock star. If anybody's the butt of the joke, it's you. Like, keep that. And that's something I learned when I was taking classes, where it's like, if you treat your scene partner like a rock star, why would they ever, why would you ever put those in, them in those situations? If anything, yourself. 
we have a lot of these, and, and I stop it right away. In scene, I don't care where it is. I'll say nope. And if there's pushback, I go back to not in my class. I don't want to see it. I don't care if the whole, uh, if this whole class wants to see it. Nope. I remember I taught a workshop, and a woman said we were talking about um, being sexual on stage, and I'm like, I've never seen it work. I'm like, it just doesn't work. You could see the lead up to it, and you could see like the aftermath and dealing with that, but like seeing it or ta- it just doesn't work. And then this woman started talking about how she thought it was really funny about, um, and it's, I'll just say what she said, about a gang rape on stage. And she goes, no, it was funny because the woman maintained her power. And I said, no, that's not, I go, that's not funny. And you look around, you can see people visibly cringe in the class. And And that's an extreme example. But I think, and I said to her, I don't want to see it here. Now, that's my personal philosophy some places are like hell yeah go for it man like anything goes like there are and that's great and they can do that but for me i don't think it does any good in not addressing it and i don't think it does any good in just letting it go and then saying okay two more because it has to be a place of safety like we talked about before and i'm like of all the things we can do why do we insist on the ability for us to have to be able to do that I have to be able to offend people or I have to be able to put people in uncomfortable situations. It's like you don't have to do that. You have so much more. You have Play to the height of your intelligence. Don't play down. And if your scene partner is a rock star and you treat your audience like poets and rock stars, then you won't ever make moves like those. And, that's, and I say you should be able to play anybody as long as you play it from a place of love and you treat them to succeed. Um, I have a friend, my friend Bill Cott, who's somebody I've known for years, and we do a two-man show together. He would play a character who um, was mentally um, challenged, and he was he had a disability. And he would play this character, and he would come out and start it, and I remember the audience would laugh, and he would turn and go, what are you laughing at? Because they would laugh because they're uncomfortable with that choice, not because of what he did. And he played these characters with heart and emotion. And he ended up playing this character in a movie called The Ringer with Johnny Knoxville, where Johnny Knoxville pretends that he's uh, a special Olympian. And it was a brilliant, wonderfully uh, sweet movie. And Bill played this character, one of the Olympians, because of how well he did it. And he came from a place of love. And that, to me, is improv where you can play anything and should be able to. But once you start doing things that are uncomfortable or sexist or racist or even worse, like I'm doing a pseudo racist character or I'm doing a a pseudo sexist or every black person in my group, I say, hey, Shaniqua, like all of that. It's like we do this so we don't have to just play those stereotypes. And so whenever it happens, I've seen it enough to just call it and know it's not going to get any better if I just let it go. And I stop and I ask them, do you know why that's not uh, an appropriate choice? And if they say no, it's not just me that will talk to them. I'll have the class talk to them. Like I said, I've had classes where it's like, do you understand why saying woman isn't funny if you keep doing it in that tone? No. Okay, well, let's see what are some of the women in this group think. And I think then it's addressed. I think a lot of times they don't know, but I think also a lot of times they, they, it's worse as they think it's funny. Right. Yeah. I'd rather deal with the person who just doesn't know or is just so terrified being on stage is coming out. And then when you have the conversation yes. it, versus the person who absolutely knows what they're doing. 
And and who's getting the the hard thing is when those people get rewarded because it's like you see that especially when it's like performers that students are looking up to and they go and see the people that are on those house teams or those groups and it's like well so and so does it and it's like yeah I don't have an argument against that all I know is I don't want to see it I always um I always say that good uh good and funny are two different things just because it's funny. Or it made you laugh doesn't mean it was a good choice. <laughs> and sometimes the laughter is not because we think it's funny. Sometimes the laughter is like either I'm uncomfortable or I'm supporting your move or, well, that's just Dave. I have to laugh because everybody's laughing. And it's like we're we're not in it to be funny. Like for me, improv is not like I'm going to be funny. It's like that happens sometimes because we're showing the human condition. But if that's your goal, that's like – it's very desperate, like like when you date, you have this desperation, and it, immediately you can tell. Same thing with those moves, is it reeks of desperation, which goes back to that's your ego, which goes back to counter to what improv is. So once you can relax and be like, whatever happens will evolve, and if I take care of my scene partner, I look twice as good, and if it's going to be funny, it will just be funny. If not, we're still doing theater. We're in a theater. We're not doing jokes. Once you get past all of that, which comes to me from making it a safe place to explore and to explore your vulnerability as well. I also like how you brought up, because I don't think all teachers, at least my experience has been that teachers don't do this enough, um, is that have the discussion about not only are you you're treating your scene partner, but that audience is a piece of the puzzle as well. And you want to respect them they came out they made time so let's uh you may not be able to guarantee that it's going to be it's improv so it may not be the best improv they've ever seen um but take or the strongest night of improv that kind of thing but take them into account and treat them also with love and passion yes my friend soren says who's the most important person in improv and everyone says my scene partner. And he goes, no, it's the audience. And it's true. They're the most important person because they're there. And sometimes they pay to see us, but we, a lot of times will forget the audience, including when we spend a lot of time on forms. And it's like, we've got this real brand new form and it's this complicated form. And it's forms are really good for improvisers. Audiences don't come to see your show for a form. They come to see it to be entertained. And like any, any form you think you're developing or any form where you know there's a sometimes a, um, a clash of uh, philosophy on long form and short form and it really bugs me because any long form is a short form expanded and so why why people look at short form and, and they say it's like a parlor trick is because they're really not having people who know how to perform short form well, which is still about scene work and about emotional connection and quick choices and, and object work and all of that. So people then go to long form because it sometimes gives them a license to be mediocre or we go like, well, we're just doing make ups. It's like, no, you're not. You're doing something much more than that. It's very difficult. Somebody comes out in short form, tells the audience what we're doing. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody understands it. You long form come out. Sometimes the improvisers can't get on the same page. And the audience goes, I don't understand what's happening. And they go, then they feel stupid. Or even worse, they get bored. 
And so it's our job to get there as quickly as we can to get on that same page so that we're all part of this. When you make a discovery on stage, the audience also shares in that discovery. Now we're all doing that discovery. When you make moves that are inventing things that aren't necessarily happening on stage, everyone's got to catch up to that, including your scene partner. So don't forget it's a party. Everybody's involved. Welcome the audience into your show because they're such an important part. We ask them for a suggestion. And if we don't honor that suggestion and you don't teach your students and, and you don't coach your players to be like, that suggestion we should honor, otherwise don't get a suggestion. But if they get a suggestion of joy, improvisers' tendency is to then go, I'm going to go the opposite. Joy, anger. Now let's talk about anger versus joy, ex- like ecstasy, amaze. Like keep going towards that joy rather than against it. That way you honor your um, audience members. Now they feel invested in the show. That's another thing that works great about short form is they're constantly giving suggestions. So now, now they are invested in that versus the one person in a long form who gives a suggestion of Treaty of Ghent and only that person knows what that is. Everybody else is what is going on and now we're trying to improvise about that. It's, it's why I personally um, teach and have my uh, performers and students constantly do invocations because I feel like invocation really honors the suggestion. Yes. The other thing I try to take time to do um, when we first started, just like totally sidebar, but when we first started ad lib, we would come out, we try to explain a herald because we're the only ones doing a herald. We're the only ones doing a long form. That went terrible <laughs> with the audience, like the eyes glazed <laughs> They don't care about the form, like you said. Like, they don't care. Don't care. So uh, we tweaked it to where we came out and we said, we're going to come to you guys once for a suggestion, and then you're going to see scenes and environments and characters and maybe other people playing each other characters. We gave a broader sense of about what's about to happen since this is new to them. And then that seemed to really hit, and they could care less about the form we were doing just that we were uh, we were doing what we were said we were going to do, and that was have a variety right. of scenes, right? So they didn't care that we were coming back a third time around. And even so, I'd be like, how can you say that in a sentence, what you just said? Because the audience, if we treat them like they're smart, the audience is very perceptive. They'll, they'll catch on, and also what we – what happens is sometimes we explain to the audience what their experience should be instead of letting them have their own experience. So to say something like, we're going to do, um, we're going to improvise for you. We're going to take one suggestion. We're going to see what happens. Like the, the audience goes, got it. And I think a lot of times we, because they haven't taken in a long form class or a short form class, we think that they just won't be able to catch up to what we're doing. And I'm like, those explanations for short-form games or long-forms, those also take away from us playing. So it's like, simplify it. What is, how can I, we're going to take a suggestion and make stuff up. Like that, as well as like, audience goes, got it, can't wait to see what this is. When we go, okay, we're going to take a suggestion, we're going to start with an opener, we're going to do three scenes, then a game, then we're going to do scenes, it's a bank of scenes again, which may or may not bring back stuff, and it might go forward, and it might just be thematic, and then the audience is like, uh, get to it, entertain me, not just make me laugh, and the other thing is the audience comes to an improv show to fall in love with us, like, they don't come to an improv show to be like, I hope this is horrible, they come there and they're like, please entertain me, but we think 
they aren't there for that. We think so many other things. Like when somebody gets mad about, uh, they said dildo or gynecologist. Like that's not their job is not to give us a suggestion you want. Our job is to make that suggestion smart. And so if you get a suggestion of a gynecologist, why can't you do scenes that are about pressure? Or about waiting in a doctor's office. We don't have to do the literal thing. Our job is to elevate that suggestion. So I'm like, there aren't really any bad suggestions until it becomes something that's like, um, you know, something that's, that's like for me, I'd be like anything racist, anything like that. I have no problem saying this to an audience member. Nope. Like I have no problem saying I'm not going to take that. Like, and not even engage because once you engage with the audience member and if it's a heckler and you're not funnier than them, you lose the show, you know, but that's a whole nother discussion. But yeah, like, don't like treat your audience like they're smart. Like they'll, whether they know what long form is or not is irrelevant to the fact of, oh, you're going to make stuff up. Cool. I got that. And then at the end they can come to you and say, oh, you brought characters back and you did this and that. It's like, uh huh. Yep. Like we, we sometimes do shows where it's like this audience has never heard of improv and it's like, well, maybe that's true, but really they've heard of being entertained. And so the, the less we can do, the, the easier it becomes like, you know, you watch like TJ and Dave who are a two person group and they come out and they just say, trust us, this is all made up. And then they go. And we buy into it. We go, okay. And we sit and because they do work that's engaging and smart, they don't do um, dumb stuff. You know, they play smart. We are we buy in right away. So the audience can is pretty hip. They're hipper than we think they are. I, I definitely agree with that. You've been teaching for a while. So how do you keep yourself um, – how do you keep yourself passionate and engaged and then – what do you do to make sure that you're keeping on top with your skills? Because for me, teaching just like improv, if I'm ever – if I'm ever at the point where like, well, I know everything, then it's time for me to leave, right? It's, yes. Yeah. Um, so what – so how are you doing those kind of things? Um, that's a great question. If you ever feel like that, take a step back, which is what I've done. Take a step away. And then reignite your passion, come back. If it's a passion thing, go retake a level one class as a student, not as a teacher. Go in there as a student. You will see passion again there. Uh, I do things like I'm really obsessive. So I will scour the Internet for um, improv exercises, forms. I watch videos. I'll talk to other teachers. That's a way to learn. And what's really important is to have these teacher salons where you sit there and you go, boy, I'm having a problem with this type of student. What can I do? Or, hey, um, Jack Bronis, will you teach a, uh, a exercise on status? I'm not really getting this concept, but I need, I need to understand it. I think I understand it, but I'm not sure. So then going to people who are really good at what they do. Like, you're really good at dialects. What are some exercises I can do? Take yourself out of just improv focus. Go see a play. Go walk down the street. Take an acting class. Take a music class. All of these things can inspire you to teach. Walk down the street and go, wow, there are a lot of birds. What if I taught a class where everybody was a bird or had that mentality? Let's see what happens. So I think you could do a couple things where it's you're constantly learning. You, you remain open to what is sent your way. Another thing is throw away your lesson plan. Those seven exercises you love doing or that warm up that you do every show, 
Six things that make you hungry. Go. Food. <laughs> Cars. What? All of those, I would say, throw away your lesson plan and start over. And start with a brand new one. Um, sit in and audit your, your um, fellow teachers' classes to be like, hey, can I sit and watch you teach? Like these are all things that you can do. I, my first class I taught at IO Chicago, my wife was in the class because I wanted her to tell me if I was talking too much. And, and she was the only one I failed. She's the only one I didn't let continue because she was on her phone most of the class. So I was like, she's not continuing. And the whole class was like, what? And I was like, she's been on her phone the whole time. And she was on her phone at that time. I'll never forget it. So I was like, but yeah, those are things where I feel like they can help you where if you feel like you're mired, you probably are, and then go, okay, let me get as self-aware as you can. What's making me feel this way? Ah, I feel like I'm in a rut. Great. Change your rut up. I feel like I just don't have a passion for it. Great. Take time off. Find your passion again. And sometimes it's okay to be like, it's not an improv anymore. I thought I'd be doing this for a while. It's not. So take a step away. Find the thing that made you love improv because you have to bring that passion into your room. And if you aren't passionate about improv at that moment, find out if you still are. Find out what makes you passionate and go towards that. But, yeah, it's okay to walk away too. It's okay to be like, I'm going to take a break. Like one time – I was really scared because one time at a theater I said – I was probably teaching three or four classes a week and I was coaching a couple teams and I said to the person running the training center, I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks so I don't want to, I don't think it's fair that I teach a class when I'm going to be gone so this term I, I need to take the term off. And then I never taught at that place again, which was like, yeah, it was my biggest fear is like, ah, and then I was never asked to teach again. But that was a gift I didn't see at the time. But because of that, it led me to another theater that was more of my home. But if that hadn't happened, I would have still been trying to get their approval again. And it's like I'm too old now to to beg for somebody's approval. If my style doesn't work for that theater, cool. It'll hurt because I'm human and it'll sting and I'll be, you know, I'll try not to. But I'll probably obsess over what is wrong with me as a human being because they don't want me. But it leads to something better. I just didn't know it at the time. Awesome. I am going to ask you, do you have any this final thoughts for teachers out there or anything you think is super important, a favorite exercise that all teachers should know maybe? I'm, you know, I need that. Um, one, one exercise, any exercise that makes you go yes and. Any exercise that goes yes, I accept that and build. Anything like that. Um, what I think is really important, I think is the most important thing right now going on in teaching, is to get a diverse point of view, is to bring people in um, who have diverse thoughts, people of different um, races, ages, sexual orientations, creeds, beliefs, anything that makes it diverse. Because I think it's it's been needed for so long, and we haven't really, as a community, and as people who are in charge of the community, hasn't they haven't been doing a good job cultivating that. And so what happens is, and you know, you could speak to this far better than I can. I'm the poster guy for improv teacher. I'm the dude that it's like, Oh yeah, that dude's face I've had in my class a lot, that guy. So for me, it's like, I understand that. And, I, and I'm also okay with if there is a limited amount of slots for teachers, I'm okay giving mine up because I've done it. But also, I, 
I see that there's a better, there's a bigger need than having me come in and teach a class when people can only relate to me sometimes with my emperor philosophy, but not with a lot of what my point of view is. So I think it's imperative, and I always welcome people who have diverse backgrounds and points of view to come shadow me or teach, or I try to get people to when I'm directing like sketch shows, I'll bring in assistant directors, A, because it helps me, but B, because I want to have that diversity. I want to get people teaching. I want to get them up in front of students. So that's the biggest thing right now is get people of uh, that are different than the hetero white male. Um, and being an atheist doesn't make you <laughs> unique for white men. It's like you're still that white guy, right? It's a badge. But I would say, like, getting that is very important. Like, that's why I think people like you, people like Jill Eichmann up in at Leela, uh, Kat uh, and Amy down at Finest City, I think those are so huge for what's happening because that's how we're going to grow is have that. And people that open the doors to communities that don't even know anything about improv or that go – uh, like my friend Sheets, who said, oh, yeah, I didn't know improv was that. I thought it was just messing around with my friends. And she's brilliant, and she's an amazing improviser. And she opens the doors to people that would never, ever come see an improv show in the mostly white neighborhoods that these theaters are in. But we're we're cutting off so much talent and joy and intelligence and point of view and experience that – we need to open that door again. And this goes for people that are, you know, in their fifties and sixties as well, but definitely to have more of a diverse, um, uh, point of view in our clubhouse is the most important thing right now for me. Where can people find you online if they'd like to reach out and talk some more? Probably the best way is like, find me on Facebook, honestly, like I love Facebook. And so it's Jay Austin Suko. I friend request, I don't friend request students because I think that's um, that's uh, something that you shouldn't do because a teacher has a status um, over a student in a class. But I accept anyone's friend request. So there or my um, at todayimprov.com, T-O-D-A-Y-I-M-P-R-O-V.com is a website. And you can go there for more information. You can sign up. I have a newsletter that I send out that's improv-centric. I send out once every, like, 10 days or so. And you can see some more thoughts of that I have on improv and student and professional testimonials and things like that. But, yeah, those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we look forward to talking soon.